0: To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.
1: Mommy, I can't sleep. How about a glass of milk? That's gross. Well, count sheep or something.
2: Mommy, you can do better than that.
1: Well, do you have any other ideas?
2: Oh, I know. I can listen to KUCI. 88.9. Cool.
1: That's exactly what I'm doing. Friend us on Facebook at KUCI-FM and follow us on Twitter at KUCI-FM. Hey, hey, happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're all not in a funk. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine, and I have two very special guests today. Coming up in just a little bit, I have Keith Haina, who's with Little Kids Rock. If you haven't heard of Little Kids Rock, you can visit them. They're a nonprofit, littlekidsrock.org, and I love this organization. They are a national nonprofit that transforms children's lives by restoring and revitalizing music education in disadvantaged public schools and they partner with school districts training public school teachers in very innovative ways and they donate all the instruments and resources necessary to run rock and music programs so it's my pleasure to welcome to this morning's show keith Hanna. hey keith hey how are you good thanks for calling in of course i met david wish who started this program years ago and I've followed along, you know, how things have gone, and it's unbelievable. Congratulations on 10 years.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's an excellent milestone.
1: How did this all come about?
0: Well, uh, it's very simple. The, the Little Kids Rock in a Log Cabin story um, <laughs> started back in 1996, uh, before there was any, any nonprofit or anything called Little Kids Rock. Um, Dave Wish was actually a uh, an elementary school teacher in East Palo Alto, California, which at that time was the murder capital of the United States. Um, Yikes! A very rough, rough neighborhood, and um, you know, he was teaching uh, English to first and second graders. And uh, basically, the spark happened when he went to his principal on the first day of school to find out when his when the music and gym periods would be, so that he could have uh, you know know when his prep periods would be. Nice. And uh, the principal said, "Music." If you want a music program, you have to come up with it yourself. So that's what he did. And he started teaching uh, his kids how to play guitar and how to write songs after school and before school and at lunch. And um, the program was really successful because he he really focused in on uh, two real core concepts. One was teaching kids to play the music that they loved. And the other was to um, really tap into their creativity and let them... Let them explore. Let them write their own music and improvise. And um, you know, this this program really just started to you know catch on like wildfire at his school. And um, I bet, yeah, it was. You know, and and it it makes sense. You know, music is really captivating to kids and engaging. And yes, uh, it's it's often taught in a way that uh, you know backwards. It doesn't it doesn't capture kids kids uh, attention and creativity. And so uh, you know when. Dave Wish wasn't able to take on any more new students. He decided to start training other teachers to to, to teach their kids in the same way. That's great. And he took the program national, and uh, you know, in 2002. And 10 years later, uh, we've served over 250,000 children in 25 cities. Whoa! And currently have 90,000 kids enrolled in the program.
1: That is incredible. And no, I mean I grew up in New York City, and I know I started off in public schools, and they were pretty tough. I can only imagine what this does for the self esteem uh, and the drive of kids that tend to, you know, tend to not have any focus after school.
0: Yeah, and that's just it. You know, I mean, a lot of these kids have uh, they they either come from broken homes or or rough neighborhoods, and you know, gang life is is often um, you know a very very tempting uh, route for them to take or. You know, lots of times kids just don't, they don't make it to high school or through high school. And music uh, and Little Kids Rock, a program, it's not about turning kids into professional musicians or giving them a a career in music necessarily. It's more about turning them into creative, confident uh, young people and giving them giving them something to grasp onto, something that really taps into their creativity and gives them something to be successful at. Um, you know, there are so many studies that show that if, uh, if a child is engaged in one subject at school, they are mm-hmm. much more likely to graduate. And we're trying to offer that to, to, to many kids that might not be captivated by the, the core subjects, you know, math, science, and history, and English.
1: Well, don't they say, too, that if you're musical, that you do better at math?
0: Oh, absolutely. It improves your analytical skills, for sure. Um, improves your composition skills, as well. You know, there, there are a myriad of benefits to, to being a musician. Um, you know, they, they say that kids that learn to play a musical instrument are actually, actually 52% more likely to go on to, co- to college. Um, you know, That's so, great. again, why that is, is it because, you know, they're they're... Uh, the, the neurons in their brain are connecting or is it because they're more likely to show up at school and pay attention or, mm-hmm. you know, who knows but, um, you know, the evidence is there that, that music uh, actually helps kids succeed in school and in life.
1: I remember being a kid, I was living in New York City and my mo- my mom was single, we would go out she would um, have me, you know listen to bands and things like that there was a Sunday brunch at uh, this restaurant called Wednesdays it was uh, in the 80s on 2nd Avenue. And I would just stare at the guitar player. I would Not him, but actually his playing. And I would just be completely captivated by watching what they were doing. I'd watch the left hand and the right hand. And it just uh, stuck with me. And at 10, when I got my first guitar, it, it changed everything. And I'm one of these moms that I don't need my kid to be straight-A student. I would rather have them be more well-rounded and be musical and be into sports, and just be well-rounded.
0: Yeah, right? and, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how uh, different kids are, they get engaged by different sorts of, um, or, or by the way that it's presented to them. For example, you know, somebody might see, like we'll, we'll bring in a lot of celebrities into schools. Um, you know, we brought Slash into a school in Los Angeles once, and, <laughs> you know, some of those kids, it's like they, they see Slash doing what he's doing yes oh my god he's he's a virtuoso I want to be like that I'm gonna work hardest that I can achieve that but some kids see it and they're like I'll never be that good Mm -hmm. you know but but that we also pose it in a different way and and, um, there was a guy named Joshua Radin who's a you know a singer-songwriter you know young young guy in his his early 30s and you know he came into school and he was like "I I didn't start playing guitar until I was 28 and, really? you know, these kids were like, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm only 12. And <laughs> I can play guitar already. You know, who knows what I can accomplish by the time I'm 28.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. so exactly. it, There's a whole world out there, and, and you know, music is uh, it's a microcosm of life. You know, it, it um, yes. gives kids something to, to practice at um, and, and when you actually see and hear the progress that you make, uh, and, and people come into your school, whether it's a teacher or a celebrity or, you know, anybody invalidates all that hard work that you're doing. It makes you feel really, really good.
1: Sure, sure. Let me ask you something. The kids that are in these classes, now, they don't necessarily have to have any musical background, right?
0: Absolutely not, actually. You know, Little Kids Rock is more of an entry point. Um, you know, what we do is we train public school teachers uh, that are already employed by the district. And... You know, we just train them in our methods, uh, which is basically teaching kids to play chords, teaching kids to, um, you know, to play the music that they love and to improvise. And, uh, you know, quickly they start to, to pick up ground and to, to succeed in that instrument um, or, or in, in a variety of instruments, you know, guitar, drums, bass. It's incredible. And, and yeah. you know, it's, it's an entry point. It, it's what uh, gets them engaged in the first place. And even to be a teacher. You know, uh, little kids rock teacher. You only have to have basic musical skills. That was my next question.
1: So they don't have to be uh, musical as far as the teacher goes.
0: No, I mean, you know, you can't go. It's not a can't be tone don't deaf. Teach teachers <laughs> how to play guitar first, mm-hmm. but we'll take somebody that you know knows their major chords, and and they might not even know any musical theory. You don't have to be an amazing musician to be an amazing teacher. And you know, we've seen a lot of our uh, a lot of our teachers. You know they have they know their their open chords and maybe that's it and uh, you know with that that's enough ammunition to go into a classroom and to teach a whole bunch of, of first second and third graders how to become guitar players and how to how to become drummers and how to be in a band together mm-hmm. and um, you know we've seen that teachers actually oftentimes sometimes of the, the students um, their skills then overtake the teachers and the best part about that is that. By that time, the students actually join in and help teaching the class. They help mentoring other students naturally I love it. because I love it. Yeah. that's that's what, you know, uh, great story. There's this kid uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, his name is Akil, and he's a fifth grader, and he's got a, a disorder called selective mutism disorder. It's basically in a very very extreme form of shyness. When when he's in school or around people, mm. he's unable to speak, oh. and you know they. He was put into special ed classes because of it. You know, he, he didn't do very well on his tests because because um, he couldn't communicate, he couldn't really ask questions, he he wasn't learning as well. And he joined the little kids rock class and started learning to play guitar and um one of the best guitar players in the class. He even wrote his own song and
1: look at that.
0: And the best part about it was number one, he started doing better on his tests. They took him out of special ed classes and put him into regular classes. Number two he, he was actually teaching other kids how to play guitar without even being able to speak to them.
1: That is and, incredible.
0: Yeah, and and you know, the, and number three, the best part though, he didn't start speaking yet in class. He was smiling a whole lot, oh. and that you know, that just shows that that music can really hit somebody's soul, and, and it can make it can really reverse the track that they're on in school or in their life.
1: That's incredible. That I mean, you're talking about somebody completely coming out of their shell. Yeah. You know, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Keith Haina from Little Kids Rock. Um, Janine, the host of Get the Funk Out, tell me, how did you align yourself with all these incredible musicians, like you know Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen? How how did this all come about?
0: Um, you know, it's it's a very small world when you you support music and, and when you love kids. And um, you know, some of some of the earliest uh, musicians supporters of of ours have been before the program even left the Bay Area. Um, Bonnie Raitt has been one of our longest uh, time supporters. She, she supported the program back before it you know it even left San Francisco. Um, and Carlos Santana was another one. He actually gave his Malagro Foundation, um, gave a grant of the first uh, two dozen electric guitars that Little Kids Rock ever received. And, um, it's fantastic. You know, I love since it. That, yeah, since then, we've donated thousands and thousands and thousands of them um so really got us going and you know everybody from uh, Ziggy Marley and the whole Marley family they're huge supporters of ours they visited schools and jammed with kids this year um, we we honored uh Steven Van Zant of the East Street Band who's uh really helped us he's gone into schools uh and delivered instruments and he's uh you know helped us raise money and uh, this year we threw on just a huge it was our 10th anniversary gala in New York City and uh, he helped us put together this just amazing uh, concert and, and gala at the Hammerstein Ballroom, uh, and, and featured performances by Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, Tom Morello, Dion, The Wanderer. Wow, uh, Darlene, that's Incredible, Love. I mean, just yeah, it, it was amazing. And the the best part about it all was they shared the stage with some of our students, mm. and and those you know that's that's something that these kids are going to take with them for a lifetime.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, the teachers must be in awe, like when Bruce walks in. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's great, and you know, the the to me, I'm in awe when I get to see the faces of these artists when they see some of these kids playing their song. You know, I yes. always go back to Slash. Um, Slash visited school in Los Angeles, and you know, he start, sat down and started uh, in the front of the room, and he started playing "Sweet Child of Mine." You know, the opening beautiful little lick yes. there, yes, and, yes, and. He was so surprised when, like out of nowhere, the drummer just fell and beat behind him. And then about 30 students all started playing and singing his song. He thought he was going to be playing it for them. Instead, he was playing it with them. And you know he had no, he had no idea these kids were practicing and knew that song. And these kids had no idea Slash was coming in to visit them.
1: <laughs> How cool. Oh, my yep. gosh. That's amazing. Slash must have been just blown away.
0: Yeah, he's been a supporter ever since. You know, he sends us autographed guitars to auction off. Uh, you know, he, he does a whole bunch for us. Just really great guy. And um, you know, when you when you get to meet some of these kids, um, and you see the the surroundings, you know, Newark, New Jersey, or or you know, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and mm-hmm. you know, Nashville, Memphis, some of these cities where you know, there's just there's not a whole lot there for for the youth. But you walk into their music classroom. You know, you think that that you've died and gone to heaven. You know, mm-hmm. there's electric guitars and there's kids smiling and jamming and having fun. Right. And you know that to me, also is one of the greatest things. You think that you know traditionally you can't be learning if you're having fun in school, but <laughs> but 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 our kids have fun every single day, and and. You know they're some of the best students in their class,
1: and it makes people show up to school. I mean, kids that normally go, "Ugh, I have you know, I, I can't stand school. I hate school." They go to school. They're excited. They're on time. They look forward to it.
0: Uh, I'll tell you, I've seen, I I never ever would have stayed after school until five six o'clock on a Friday to play just you know to hang out with my teacher and play music. But our kids do it because it's that. better than what they what they have, you know, better than the alternative. Yes, better than hanging out on the streets or. Better than, than going home and not being able to play music. You know they have a they have an environment that's that's,
1: that's safe, feel, that's creative, that yeah, helps them grow. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's really incredible because I know you know if kids are not in sports or something after school, they can get in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of you know craziness that goes on.
0: Yeah, that three three p.m. to six p.m. window is um, you know when parents are is still at work and mm-hmm. kids are out of school. There's a lot of mischief. Yes, can, can happen, and uh, you know this is a, a very positive outlet for their creative energies.
1: So, where are you now? Are you in like most major states?
0: Yeah, we're in uh, well, we're in 25 cities uh, in 12 states uh, across the country. Uh, we're you know everywhere from from California, um, Texas, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, we're in Chicago, Minneapolis, Philadelphia, D.C., New Orleans, Tampa, New York. Um, you know. L.A., San Francisco, Fort Collins, Colorado, and we're only going to be expanding to more and more places. Um, you know, it really it really depends on uh, two things. The, the funding, uh, you know, we need people to support our efforts because we, uh, you know, we don't charge the school districts that are already very burdened by budget cuts. Okay. We don't charge them a dime. Um, and, you know, we don't charge anybody a dime. We raise all the money ourselves. And then um, the school districts need to... Uh, to support what we're, we're trying to do and, and allow us to come into their schools and donate all of these, this curricula and, and all these resources and instruments. And that's not a very hard sell to most, most of these school districts that are um, struggling to, to stay afloat in this time of budget go.
1: And look at what happened with Sandy. That storm just, you know, uh, just yeah, havoc on the whole area that you're in.
0: Yeah, that's where our headquarters is, um, uh, right in, in in New Jersey and yeah, we we were hit very hard, um, and a lot of our schools in, in you know, New York City and um Newark and Jersey City have been hit extremely hard. But um j- actually just this past weekend we trained uh two dozen teachers uh from Newark and New and Jersey City and uh you know, we donated a whole bunch of instruments to their schools and they're gonna have uh just a, a huge program now growing in their in their schools. And uh you know, it just the resolve that these teachers had after they've lost the whole bunch to come out mm-hmm. on a weekend and volunteer their time and, you know, to to bring this gift to their kids. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. You know, I love it. I the love true it. the true heroes of this whole program are all the teachers that we serve because, you know, we give them the gift of instruments, but they give their students the gift of music, and that's that's the, the spark.
1: Yes, yes, because it has a lifelong impact. It's not just like something they do for a few months, It's something they want to do for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and we see it all the time. You know, we, you, you think about um, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people that are, um, you know, they're all grown up now, and they think about the way that they learned music as a kid. You know, it was, they were being force-fed, uh, you know, piano lessons and mm-hmm. learning classical music maybe that they, they, they weren't really into. And you have that, that vision maybe of a, a mean old piano teacher, you yes. know, sma- smack in the back of your hand with a ruler if you hit the wrong <laughs> note, you know, start again. And a lot of people say, yeah, you know I, I used to I used to know how to play piano, but I forgot you know't right. I, I, I blocked it out yes. and you know we put them in front of a piano, we start showing them a few things we we use these things for the teaching piano called jam cards, in which you literally jam it jam these cards behind the keys, and it color codes it for you well, that's so you're great. Not, yeah you're not necessarily reading music at, at the beginning, but you're you're you know you're playing with the the color coded keys and It sounds good and all of a sudden we'll do it with adults and all of a sudden all this information starts like you know coming right back into their brains like oh yeah I remember this and then all of a sudden it's fun. That's great.
1: I love it and I actually uh, went to Nam. I've gone to Nam the past couple years here in California and I went to an evening event at the Yamaha Center and uh, David Wish was there and there was a whole uh, performance. Uh, Muriel Anderson was performing. I guess she had produced the event
0: yeah, Muriel Anderson's All-Star Guitar Night. Yes,
1: that's what I went to, and, oh, it was incredible.
0: Yeah, these are some of the best uh, best musicians in the world, some of the best guitarists, virtuosos, and, um, you know, it's, it's cool because our kids oftentimes uh, will perform at that, that show as well. And, you know, the, the people that come to, to see these guitarists are expecting, uh, you know, one of the best musical shows in the world, and that's what they get. But they're surprised when they see... A whole bunch of you know 10 11 year olds yes. get on stage <laughs> and you know they're they're not uh, they're not virtuosos per se they're not playing the the harp guitar or, no, uh, or okay. a 12 string but they they rock it and right. that they get the biggest applause
1: yes no i loved it are you doing it again uh, in january are they having a big event with little kids rock out here
0: uh yes uh, we are featured every single year out there and um uh, you know, we'll have to, I have to double check on what the actual date yeah,
1: let is me of know. the concert. Let but me know. yeah, we
0: are always featured. Actually, Dave Wish is normally the, uh, the MC of, uh, of All Star Guitar Night.
1: I loved it. It was, it was an incredible night. I just, you know, one performer after the next, just was mind blowing. Yeah. So tell me, what do you have? Usually you said you have big events coming up in the fall in New York.
0: Yeah, well, every uh, usually every fall, that's that's when we have our it's gala season for us. You know, it's where we bring in all of our supporters. Um, we have one we had one on the West Coast this year in San Francisco, and then we had one in New York City. Um, and it's when we bring in all of our, our donors and supporters, and um, you know, we, we put on a big show and we kind of celebrate um, the accomplishments of the year. Uh, we and in New York City, we always. Uh, We honor uh, a musical luminary with an award that we named after the late Clarence Clemens. Uh, It's called the Big Man of the Year Award. And basically, he was our first honoree. And The the award is all about, you know, a a big musician who steps up to help little kids. Nice. And uh, the event is called the Right to Rock Celebration because it's all about giving our kids the right to rock. Beautiful. And... Yeah, and uh, you know we've had uh, after Clarence, um, we honored Bernie Williams, the former New York Yankee turned jazz guitar player.
1: Oh yeah, I met him at the Muriel Anderson event.
0: Yeah, when he's uh, the- he's also a just tremendous musician. Mm-hmm. Um, the following year, we, we honored Lady Gaga, and um, okay. who who perf- her uh, song "The Edge of Glory" was the last musical performance that Clarence was on. Um, and then uh, this past year, we honored Stephen Van Zandt, and. Um, yeah, you know, we'll see who who the 2013 honoree will be.
1: That's great. And so, anything coming up in the beginning of the year?
0: Well, we uh, at the beginning of the year after Nam, mm-hmm. uh, usually we kind of gear up for March, and March is National Music in Our Schools Month, and uh, it's a big awareness month for us. And we try to, uh, you know, we we train a whole bunch of teachers, um, you know, in January, February, and March, and make a lot of instrument donations. And um, you know, when we donate instruments to these teachers' schools. Oftentimes that's where we'll bring in a celebrity to to do it to kind of help shine a spotlight on the work that we're doing and uh, just to really show the importance that music education plays in our kids' lives because um, unfortunately you know when when budget cuts hit uh, music and arts are the first to go yes and it's, it's I think it's extremely short sighted um, but you know
1: no, it's awful these, it's these awful.
0: school districts are they have their hands tied you know there's yeah. not a lot of money and uh, with the, uh, the importance that's placed on standardized testing uh, for them to get their funding, you know, they have to make sacrifices. So right. that's where Little Kids Rock comes in. We, we try to uh, fill in the gaps that these budget cuts leave.
1: Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was in graduate school, I remember learning about we have different types of intellect. And not every kid will be mathematical or, you know, have the same strengths. But a lot of kids are musical, and you kind of have to teach to those strengths.
0: Yeah, and you know that's um, that's just it. I, I know a teacher in New York City um, from the Bronx, and he was telling us about a student that he had who was—I mean, he was basically—he was um, in eighth grade uh, and, and just on pace to, to drop out of school. You know, that was that oh. was—he'd uh, he, awesome. been left back a couple of years. He was a problem child. You know, teachers just wrote him off. They said he's he's hopeless. And um, so this teacher. That he was going to make, make this kid his project. And, you know, he said, hey, you know, why don't you come to the little kid's rock class, teach a guitar? And he was like, nah, I don't really want to. But he convinced the kid to come to the class and just sit there, just, just listen, observe. Okay. You know? And he did, he did that for a couple of weeks. And then um, all of a sudden, one day, you know, he comes in and he, he, had a, you know, he had a guitar and he knew all of the songs. And apparently, <laughs> what he had been doing was he would sit there and observe, and then he would go home and he'd practice on his own. And ah. you know, once he saw that he was, you know, he, he succeeded and he got this positive reinforcement. You know, he he started trying a little bit harder in his other classes because he learned that um, if he if he failed out of his other classes, he couldn't go to his little kids rock class. Great and So incentive. This teacher kind of stuck with him throughout throughout high school in the next few years, and um, you know, he started doing better. And uh, the kid was like, "Well, you know, Mr. A, I'm not going to really ever be able to go to college. Uh, you know, what am I going to do?" And the teacher said, "Well, you know, you can study music in college." And he was like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." So he, you know, he did well on pretty well on his SATs, and he he graduated with a a GPA that was able to get him into college. And now he's studying music in college. And look at that! You know, it's it complete complete 180 on a kid who was on pace to drop out of high school. Right. So just, you know, it's amazing what what music can do if it really uh, engages a child early.
1: And your self-esteem just completely changes when you're doing something like this.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it gives you something that you can communicate with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and like you said, it's a lifelong gift. So once you have it, you know, you can't really take it away.
1: Yes, yes. How can people get involved with Little Kids Rock?
0: Well, um, on our website, uh, it's www.littlekidsrock.org. Um, you know, we—if uh, you're a public school teacher um, in any of the the 25 cities that that we serve, uh, which you can find on our website—you uh, know—feel free to go to the website. You can uh, go to there's a tab that says for teachers, and you can apply for free to one of our workshops. Um, and we have workshops—you know—over the course of the year, we announce them. You can put your name into the queue, and we will. Uh, we will contact you as soon as we schedule a workshop in your area, and um you, know, you get a whole whole bunch of free instruments, uh, you know. Weekly curriculum updates. We send out a weekly riff of a new song uh, to teach your kids, and you know, Sweet. it's just it, you, you become a hero at your school basically because you bring in all these free resources. If you're not a teacher, um, you know, we we definitely are looking for, for donations. Um, you know, it, putting it this way, for for fifty dollars we can put a brand new acoustic guitar into a classroom and over the course of of the school year that guitar is going to serve about three kids um, and that guitar then the next year will serve another three kids and another three kids the next year mm-hmm. until eventually you know in ten years the guitar has been worn out and we put a new one <laughs> into school. Sure. Um, so you know we, we make your gift go a really really long way um, and you know if, if, you, if you don't have the means to make a donation um, you know we sign up for, for our news alerts, for our newsletters. Anytime we have volunteer opportunities or, or events or anything, um, you know, we send out messages and uh, try to get everybody as involved as we possibly can.
1: That would be great. That would be great. Any uh, last bit of advice you want to offer or any information about anything coming up?
0: Yeah, well, you know, my last piece of advice is, and, and this actually goes to, to adults, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to kids as well. But, you know, I was—I I remember one of the, the saddest things that I can—I can think of in my own personal life was, was being uh, 16 years old, and you know, I wanted to. One day, I decided I wanted to learn how to play guitar, and you know, I didn't have one, but I was looking looking around for books or online for how to how to uh, you know learn how to play, and it just seemed like it was too hard. And my mom said to me, "Oh, you know, why don't you get lessons?" And I said, "No, mom, it's too late." You know, um, my my friends it's already been late. playing for two years, and as a sixteen year old <laughs> to think it's too late uh, and to not do it, Keith, is that's sad. <laughs> very, very sad. And and you know, so I've since, um, you know, I'm 28 now, and I've since picked up the guitar. And um, you know, I'm I'm definitely no Jimmy Page, but I, you know, I can play some open chords now and jam. Right. And um, it's been one of the most fulfilling things for me personally. And um, you know, the the reason that I gained the confidence to try it was because I saw these kids doing it and enjoying it so much. So never think it's too late. You're never too old to pick up a guitar because uh, you're not competing against anybody but yourself. And uh, you're never too old to feel the, the magic of music in your life. That's so, great. Um, you know, give it to yourself, give it to a child, and uh, change someone's life.
1: Fantastic. Keith, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks, Janine. And uh, that was Keith from Little Kids Rock. If you want more information, go to www.littlekidsrock.org. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with my second guest, Suzanne Fenton.
2: You're listening to 88.9. on this program do not reflect the views of KUCI or the University of California, Irvine. Close your eyes for a moment. Now imagine you're away from it all. Beside a crystal-clear mountain stream, the cool grass crunches underfoot. Take a deep breath and drink in the sound of water cascading over the stones as birds call out from above. A real paradise like this isn't easy to come by, but it does still exist. And with your help, places like this one can last forever. You see, the Nature Conservancy works locally with communities, businesses, and people like you to preserve the most precious natural places around the world. They protect the animals that live there, the plants that grow there, and even the water. That way, this beautiful place will be beautiful forever. And we'll make sure that closing your eyes will never be the only way to get there. I'm Paul Newman. Help The Nature Conservancy save the last great places.
3: Visit The Nature Conservancy at nature.org. That's nature.org.
1: Every day, countless children and young adults are going through the pain and humiliation of being bullied. Horrifyingly, some will choose to kill themselves to escape their pain and torment. KUCI urges you to do everything you can to stop bullying. How can you help? It's simple really. First, raise your own children to treat others with dignity and respect and to never make fun of or pick on their peers. Second, whenever you see bullying occur and if you're an adult, step in and stop it immediately and then make sure the bully is disciplined appropriately. If you're a child, report the incident as quickly as you can to the nearest authority figure. By following these simple guidelines, we can begin to curb the bullies of the world and quite possibly save some lives.
3: Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand
1: and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense.
3: How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? hmm
1: Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments.
3: Is this water? No.
1: Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hey, hey, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. That's right. Don't eat sand and don't eat snow, especially yellow snow. All right, my little bit of advice for Monday. Sheldon's looking at me like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> All right, coming up next, we have Suzanne Fenton, who was born and raised in Southern California, and she splits her has split her youth and free time between two happy places, the beach and going to hear live music. She's calling in live from Minneapolis. Minneapolis. She's a freelance writer, artist, and owner of Me Shirts by Suze. I love her motto, you can't make change without change. Please welcome Suzanne Fenton. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for calling in.
3: Of course. I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you had coffee? You're a coffee drinker, right?
3: Yep, I'm sitting here with my latte and my water. Okay.
1: Ready yep. to roll. Ready to roll, cool. We met years ago at uh, Mama Palooza in New York.
3: We did, and I was so happy. You were like my favorite part of
1: it. Oh, you're so sweet. That was yeah. fun. That was so much fun. Now, what brought you to that event, I think, because of your company?
3: Yes. I I started a T-shirt business or an apparel business okay um about 2004 and it was just my way of sort of getting back into the working world with i just needed to express myself creatively so i started out by creating shirts for moms
4: nice
3: and i had a girlfriend who was going to be performing at mama palooza and she hooked me up with the organizer and it was just a perfect event for my shirts because it was all about moms and um
1: no, it's perfect. And, and
3: living a creative life.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know what, I think what, why I gravitated towards you is because I love to write screenplays. And I went, at night, I would take one evening and go. I went to UCI, the screenwriting program. And, you know, you, you kind of feel like you don't want to lose yourself creatively after you become a mom. And you, you need to fill that, you know, void Absolutely.
3: And it t- it took a little while. I mean, I just, I remember right. the moment it happened. Mm-hmm. My youngest was two, and I was like, I'm ready now. I have to do something. There's no choice. And um, I love to write as well, and that, that was something that did keep me sane throughout mm-hmm. the process of three little kids, but, um, you know... Any ch- and I still write. I mean, I've always written, and and that is something I hope to. That's great. Actually, share with the world one day.
1: You know, I would have to say because the theme of this show is get the funk out. Doing those kind of things definitely kept kept me out of a funk. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but when I was uh, nursing my second child, I think, um, yeah, I was nursing. Uh, I auditioned to be a Uh, voiceover actress uh, for this children's show and I didn't realize but they wanted a puppeteer and it was um, to play the role of a lamb. Did I tell you the story? Go
3: ahead. It's fascinating.
1: (laughs) So I auditioned and uh, the director called me back. He says, I want to let you know we gave it to this woman. She's older. She's experienced. He calls me a week later. He says, you know what? She can't handle it because it's too much for her to keep her arm up. Because as a puppeteer, you got to use your arm for long hours. And would you consider coming back? So here I am nursing. I bring my my pump in the car and, you know, and major muscles from that baby. Yeah, major muscles from lifting the baby. I was ready. And uh, I auditioned. uh, Well, no, I had already auditioned. So he gave me the role of lamb. And it was the best thing. And it was so much fun. And I felt like, okay, I don't just have to focus on motherhood. I can have a little something. And it was really cool.
3: Absolutely. And I and I think that the shirts, like being inspired by motherhood, mm-hmm. was what got me out there to do it. But once I was out there, just the validation, you know, where people would like my stuff, and yes. where can I buy it? And, and then I would see people wearing it or people would stop me and say, That's the best. Oh, my gosh, I just saw someone wearing something that was yours. And, you know, and it's just, you need that. Yes. You, you kind of get... Yes. You, you do, you lose yourself, right. and um, especially if you're creative, and mm-hmm. that's how you're used to being, and your energy is being used by everyone around you in your household, and you know, how do you fill yourself back up,
1: right. you know, and then right. put it
3: out there again. Right. So that's what I strive to do. That's great.
1: Now tell me, you, you have a very interesting bio, because um, you're the youngest of three sisters, and you've always kind of been, as you say, the black sheep of the family. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> If you want well, to. Well,
3: I don't know how much time we have, but no. Um, you know, I just, there were times I thought it was adopted, actually. Like, I, I mean, I have a great family. I get along well with my sisters. I have wonderful parents, but... Um, I just have always done my own thing. I see things differently than everyone in the family, yeah. maybe because I'm the, the true artist in the family. I, I'm the only one who's left-handed. I have a different blood type. I mean, I could go on and on, but <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was raised in a household where my mom worked full-time, and not only did she work full-time, but she went back, um, put herself back through school. And we she was raising us alone, and I just was sort of on my own to figure things out. And I learned quickly that it was very important for me. I've all I've always been curious, and it was just all about you know not only fending for myself, you know, and yes. figuring things out, but really entertaining myself. Mm-hmm. And I just was motivated that's to great. you know. It was always important for me. I want to have fun. I want to learn things, and that's just how that's where my path took me. And even if it wasn't what everyone else was doing, um, like I remember, all my friends were—you know—we were cheerleaders in junior high, and which was sort of out of the box for me. I was going to say you. Was so happy you were a cheerleader. I, I was see. a cheerleader in junior high, and my okay. mom had never been so happy. She's like, "Oh my god, finally some structure! Finally, she's going to do something, okay. you know, that everyone else is trying to do." Um, <laughs> but by the time I got to high school, you know, all those same girls went on and that's what they were going to keep doing. I'm like, "No thanks." Yeah. You know, this is not what I'm you signed up for. And you know, while they were all doing that, I was, you know, sneaking off to LA to go hear bands play and I'd like to go dancing and dress, you know, I I my whole wardrobe was out of my grandparents' garage. You know, I was just
4: Oh my gosh.
3: totally doing my own thing. And to my mom's credit, she really encouraged it. You know, she loved that I was Trying to find my way, and she—I think she understood that I needed to express myself. And I think being the youngest, yes, in so yes. in a chaotic household, anyway. I mean, it's hard enough to get your voice heard when you're the youngest of in a lineup of, of super strong female—excuse me, of super strong females. Mm-hmm. So I think I just had to figure out how am I going to, you know, get, you know, how am Be I going to do this? How am I going to get myself heard in the world? And I think I had to go out and figure that out. Yes, and I did it on my own. I think. I think Just it's great traveling and exploring and not being afraid mm-hmm. for adventure and trying new things.
1: Speaking of adventure, you've had some very interesting experiences. Um, you spent some time studying in Israel.
3: I did. That was.
1: That life- was life changing.
3: Absolutely life changing, and it was also one of those things that was sort of a last minute decision. My sister. Um, I was very much a francophile and I couldn't I had already studied in summer school in France and I was planning on doing my year abroad there and my sister was like, You really you know, my sister was the one who encouraged me, you should go, you should go and I was like, I already signed up and I was planning on going to France. And I just thought, you know, my sisters never lied to me and she told me that it would be, you know, she told me it would be life changing, she told me it would probably be among the greatest experiences of my life. And I really looked at her and thought, she has never lied to me. And so I did it. And, you know, I think I learned so much in one year. And again, I should say, I wasn't living the life of a student in Israel. I mean, I wasn't hanging out with Americans in the dorm speaking English. I mean, I was like learning Hebrew and hanging out with Israelis and traveling all over the country and, and really pushing myself out of, whatever comfort zone I thought I had.
1: That's good. And tell me something. We talked about this. Have you been through a a funk, a dark period of your time, and a a dark period in time, and somehow found your way out? Is there any advice you could offer on that?
3: Well, I think that, you know, everybody, everybody who's alive has funks. I think that there are little funks and big funks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you know the little funk can feel like a big funk until you have a big funk and you're like oh my gosh yes
1: Where's that I was thinking? nothing
3: yes um let's see so of course and and they they run the gamut from bad relationships to loss to most recently i had a loss in my life my beloved stepfather and then That's right great. after that i had a major health crisis so that huge that kind of made me feel like Put a lot of things in perspective. And I think funks right. can do that if you're willing to learn from your funk. Yes. You know, to kind of dive in, not be afraid to find out what is this about and how can I, what can I take away from this experience? Because it, I know it sounds cliche, but when you can kind of dive in and not be afraid to learn what you're supposed to learn, mm-hmm. then you're stronger and you get it more. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Yes,
1: yes. It's kind of like you, um, You go right through the storm instead of around it? Yes. Yeah.
3: If you go around a storm, you're going to hit another storm around the corner. Right. Like, eventually, you have to go through the storm because that's what is the intention. You're supposed to do it. Yes. And you can keep putting it off and putting it off, but it'll come back. And, you know, whether it comes back to you at night because you can't sleep or whatever, it's going to come back. So um, I would say, um, like, it's pretty... I, ha- I don't really like being in funks, but I know that something comes out of it at the end. So something good, yes. So I just deal with it. Yes. But um, one thing I do, like if I'm in a sort of, I know I need to create, and sometimes if I'm not able to do that, I can get in a mild funk. It can feel much bigger than it is. Okay. But one way for me to solve that is I just have to do something I want to do. Period. It, like, has to be about me. What do I want to do right now Mm -hmm. that's going to feel good? And for me, it's creating. So I might just slip up to my third-floor studio, put on old mixtapes from, like, high school or college that just (laughs) bring me back to, like, a fun place. Yes. Drink some wine and paint, you know, just do something. I love it. That's just for me in the moment and out of my head, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. As long as that's not 8 o'clock in the morning, of course. No, everyone's
3: in bed. <laughs> and the, the only downside is, is I could sit there for hours and hours and hours and right. then I have to suffer the next
1: day. You're like, you where's know? mommy? Why is mommy still exhausted? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. You know, you have to find that moment for yourself, that creative outlet, because to just focus on everyone else and not yourself is not good.
3: Not at all. And I, I have to tell you, like, when you talk about, family dynamics and this and that i've always like i said from an early age i learned hey um if you want your needs met right now you better learn how to meet you know meet your own needs and take care of yourself and and that sort of developed into a way of life of like oh well i'm going to take care of myself and this is how i do it and in the world especially you know, whatever, in the 80s, 90s, now I think people are opening their mind to it, but that can be viewed as being selfish
4: right. and
3: come off in a way of like, oh, you're just taking care of your own needs, but I know personally, I mean, I care, take care of a lot of people's needs, and I know I'm a good friend and a good daughter and all these things, but I also know that I'm really only able to be all those things to other people when i'm taking care of myself like my i'm Absolutely. the energy source Absolutely. and how can i give energy if yes. i don't have it
1: if mama ain't happy
3: right exactly <laughs> everyone's <laughs> much happy believe me the house the house has no stress when i'm in a good place and i and i really right. thank god try and be in a, i'm mostly in a good place
1: so. right oh i i fully agree i'm the same way i mean if I need to squeeze in a half an hour of exercise, it's because I need to just decompress and I'll be a happier person.
3: And the fact that we have to look for little, you know, half an hour here and there mm-hmm. to to do these things for ourselves. I mean, we're huge multitaskers, and I know that women, you know, are built to to be able to multitask. But I do try and tell my friends because – you know i'm i'm like the example that they are not you know so mm-hmm. when they're saying oh i really want to oh i really should get my nails done they look so terrible i'm like we'll go get them done you know or right. oh i wish i could just work out a little bit i'm like what's stopping you you know mm-hmm. everyone they always stop themselves from the most minor little treat which in in some ways it's not even a treat i mean it's not a luxury it's like at some point, luxuries are almost necessities. It's like, That's just right. treat yourself because you're worth it.
1: You know, I never. You know, right, go ahead. Sorry. I go was ahead. just
3: going to say it's like the L'Oreal commercials because I'm worth <laughs> it. Yes, you are worth it. A lot of people depend on you. Right. Enjoy your life That's a right. little, you know?
1: Right. You know, one thing I didn't like growing up, I remember in high school having some friends that didn't last long, is hearing them complain about the same thing over and over, and they were never moved to action. They were just. Drone on about the same problem, but would never do anything about it. And I couldn't stand it.
3: Well, I know. Well, they probably didn't even know, first of all, either what to do or... People are invested in their own kind of story and the drama of it. Yes. But if you... I agree. I mean, there's really... Even as adults, there are people probably that we know that keep talking about the same thing over and over. And you're like, really? And then you just tune it out.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
3: It's like if you, so one thing I recently just, excuse me, again, because I had this health crisis, which, you know, apparently I'm the only one that didn't realize it was life-threatening. I mean, it's kind of funky. Like, I still have this (laughs) denial about the whole thing. It's it's strange. But um, one thing I did learn from that was that you cannot change without change. So that's kind of this new idea I had, like right before this, I was thinking, oh, I really, really want to change some things about the way I operate. Like, you know, I'm not, I, I can't, see, you know, all the minutiae of life, like the organizing the papers and the getting rid, of you know, all that stuff kind of bores me,
1: mm-hmm. and, it,
3: and it piles up and piles up. Okay. And I wanted to figure out, oh, is there a way I can change and become more of this and more of that and still be me but be be more of me and a better me? And I realized, well, something has to give, something has to change in order for me to be a different person in some way, shape, or form. And then, like, four days later, I have this, you know, a blood clot in my neck. So I'm like, hmm, that's change. I guess I can... Do you, want, to ponder that. do you
1: want to talk about that for a second? I mean, that must have shocked you. But, but you, what, what you're just saying is you had such a positive outlook that everybody else was freaked out around you and you weren't.
3: I, I really, <clears throat> it was strange. I mean, mostly because I'm a healthy, like a physically fit person. And so I think <clears throat> the idea of, um, I still felt, Pretty good, and I still looked pretty good, and I, mm-hmm. I, kind of there was this this veil over the whole thing of like that is really strange to me that I'm healthy and this is happening to me. So I kind of had things to work through, but um, yeah, I had uh, I don't even know where to begin except for I was playing a lot of tennis, and and then I started noticing oh my arm is really purple oh I've got mm. these giant he-man veins down one side of my body. Oh, that doesn't look right. And, and I just kind of kept plugging along because I had a busy week and I had this big event coming up for my um, T-shirt business that I organized once a year. Okay. And, um, you know, so I just kind of I knew something was wrong, but I still felt fine, like nothing hurt. And when all was said and done a week later, a when week later. ER. Look
1: at that, a week later.
3: <laughs> yeah, a week later. And I mean, like, here's the thing about lessons. I eventually do learn lessons, but I learn them, it takes a lot. Like, I learn them the hard way, but then I remember them. At yeah. least I like to think I remember them. But I kept playing tennis, and I was in playoffs, and I was just, it was a little wacky. Crazy. And I ended up in the ER, and, um, and, uh, surgeon the vascular surgeon was saying well you know you have to come in right away oh i was checked and they found blood clots in my arm and my neck and
4: oh my gosh um, how scary in my
3: like subclavian vein so it's like right next to the jugular a big one <sighs> Suzanne. And that's why my, of course, that's why my arm is purple, but that's why all these giant veins were down one side of my body, because they were trying to, like,
1: feed me. See, this is what women do, by the way. We put things off. We're like, ah, oh, it's not that important. I'm busy.
3: <laughs> well, I was so busy, and I'm like, ah, oh, where can I squeeze this? Here, people are having a hard time squeezing in a workout, yeah. and I couldn't even squeeze in, like, going to the, you know, see a doctor about this, this problem. Ugh. So don't, don't do that, no. folks. No, no. Um, but then, the, I, and then the other thing is, then the doctors were saying, "Okay, well, you need to come in. You need to be on ICU. We need to break up this clot in your neck, and it, you you need to be monitored for twenty four hours on ICU." And I was like, mm, "Yeah, I have this event on Thursday. Like, I was trying to <laughs> postpone it." And my husband was in there, and two doctors, and they're looking at me with like, imagine like the scream, like
4: yeah. you know,
3: Edvard Munch, like the the weirdest faces were distorting. They were just looking at me like what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like an event? I'm like, yeah, I just, I do it like once a year. It's really important. A lot of people depend yeah. on me. And they're like, yeah, no, you're coming in tomorrow. right? And, and that became sort of uh, for the next three months, my life in, in one minute, Awful. my life changed, draft, everything about my life changed for the next three months. And on the one hand, it's Wonderful that it only drastically changed for three months. Right, right. And you can learn a lot in three months. Of course. But it was, it was a hard road. I mean, the life as I knew it came to a screeching halt in one, with one diagnosis, and then, and then where I'm still completely in denial and still in the ER, and the doctor says to me, well, you have, um, you have something called thoracic outlet syndrome, Mm-hmm. And we, we will most likely have to remove your rib. And, and I was like, and then it was like he was speaking Swahili. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, but you are not taking
1: my rib. My rib?
3: <laughs> I know. I'm like, what does a rib, like, you know, like, what's love got to do with it? What does a rib have to do with anything exactly. here? And so it was, it, I was kind of in a sci-fi film suddenly, and um, it took me. It took me a while. Of course, the the first piece that the the first like shock was that um, I was like, oh my gosh, I am now not a healthy person anymore. Like that was the first piece that was hard to deal with. I'm not as healthy as I thought I was. Although I should say that it's completely structural, and they and you correct it by removing the rib, which decompresses the vein. Because every time you lift your arm with the thoracic outlet, the vein is getting, like, clamped in a vice between your clavicle and your first rib. Because mm. there's not enough space, especially if you build up your muscles.
1: Yes. It's oh. all in the
3: same location. It's a very small—it's sort of a freak of nature with the design there.
1: But I got, wait, excuse me. We only have a few more minutes. I might have to have you on next week.
3: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I might have to be
1: on. Are you free? Will you join us again? I will. Okay. Is it to be continued? I think it's going to have to be because I just can't cut you off and say, well, thanks. This was it. Because there's more <laughs> to this story. This is incredible. I should t-
3: and I'll tell you what I learned. Okay. Uh, when I come back, I'll tell you exactly what I learned in those three months. And it was a bit of a bumpy road.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah, I think it would be important to continue this story because I think it's something, you know, some people can relate to. And um, incredible. So, all right. Suzanne Fenton's going to join us next week on Get the Funk Out, okay?
3: All right. Thank you, everyone. Get your funk out.
1: All right. Say it one more time like you believe it. Get the funk out. (laughs) All right.
3: Get the funk out, and I'll talk to you next week.
1: Beautiful. Sounds great. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Up next, Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues, and uh, next week, Suzanne Fenton's going to call in again from Minneapolis. That was great. Just a little teaser. We have a lot to talk about. All right. You have a... Fantastic Monday, everybody. And uh, if you'd like to find out about being a guest on this show, it's very simple. You can send an email to Janine. That's J A N E A N E at KUCI.org. Let me spell that one more time. It's J A N E A N E at KUCI.org. And uh, I have a wide variety of guests. So if you've ever been in a funk, and uh, you've really grown from it. You've learned a lot. Uh, you want to share your story. I'd love to hear it. Again, it's Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. And if you want to find out more about the show, I have everything up on my blog. It's http colon backslash twice. Get the dot And I will be back next week with Suzanne Fenton, and uh, again, thanks to Keith Haina from Little Kids Rock for joining us on the first half of the show, and that'll be up on my blog a little later on today. Have a great Monday, everyone.